Pastor Xavier Reese with a warning for the perils of sin nature. Sin nature is true and consistent in evil as much as gravity. It will kill you every time you give in to it. You go up to a 20-story building, you jump off, every time it'll kill you. But you're only going to get one shot. It's deadly. When you look at it that way, you understand that. Sin nature's deadly, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The psalmist said, As the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after Thee, O God. It is a characteristic of a Christian, one who has been made alive in Christ, to have new desires, holy longings, and righteous aspirations. We long for what is true, for what is right, and for what is good. But there's a problem. The righteousness which we love is not always apparent in our lives. The sin we hate often is, despite our best efforts to turn away from it. Let's listen as Pastor Xavier seeks a solution with today's Simple Truth study titled, Willful Defeat and Failure to Sin Nature, drawn from Romans chapter 7. Paul the Apostle has proclaimed to the Romans in chapter 6 about their practice that the old man was crucified and buried with Christ, therefore they were to reckon their sin nature dead every time it would rear its ugly head, as evidence of walking in the resurrected life, the power of Christ. Romans 6, 4-5 The believer has been freed from the power of sin nature, and it no longer has to reign as king over his or her life. But he must not allow it as sin nature to control through the desires and demand its, its will. Romans 6.12 told us that. We have a choice in chapter 6 now. And then in 6.14, the believer is not under law, we're told, but under grace, breaking the dominion of a life of sin that comes from the root of sin nature. Our deeds, words, actions, thoughts come from sin nature. The deeds and acts are the, the, are the fruit of it. And the choice will be evident by the yielding of our body members, be it to unrighteousness or righteousness for sanctification, Romans 6.19. So the believer, therefore, has been freed. We can choose to be either slaves of sin nature in the life of sin or a slave of Christ unto holiness, Romans 6.22. 6 is the foundation. 6, 7, 8. Is all one section, sanctification. Now, chapter 7 falls into three divisions. Let me give it to you. The first six verses, you have the liberation from the law to live under grace. Liberation. Then in 7 through 12, we have the vindication of the law, exposing sin nature as the culprit of sin. It's not the law. And then 14 through 25, you have the insufficiency of human energies to obey the law. So the liberation, the vindication, and the insufficiency. Now, how we interpret the book of Romans here in chapter 7 is very important. And there are many different ways people approach it. Let me just give you some. Some teach that it teaches the experience of Paul before his conversion in Christ. In other words, he says, a Jew, not born again. I reject that. Others teach that Paul is describing a Jew 
under the law, unregenerated from his Christian perspective. I reject that also. I believe that Paul is describing his own struggle living above sin after he was a Christian by trusting himself due to his attempt to do it through his own strength, obeying the law. He thought he could still do it. Now, the content of chapter 7 in context will speak for itself as Paul demonstrates his own problem to live out the victorious life of sanctification. It is simply the problem of self-dependency, trusting one's own ability to accomplish the works of the Spirit by the energies of the flesh. That's the bottom line. Some refuse to admit that Paul the Apostle had this problem, and they attempt to make him less than human as us. Yet his own autobiography here tells us this. We'll see that. Others have understood and taught the chapter 7 here is the normal life experience for the believer. And since most of us can identify with Paul's description of his struggle, we've accepted it. And so everybody goes to chapter 7 for the warfare. Oh yeah, I know that. But this is not the warfare, this is defeat. By trusting your own flesh. And we'll show you as we move through this. Chapter 8 is a victory. Chapter 7 is a mud hole. So you want to make sure you get through the mud hole, not get stuck in it. The believer does experience in life a legitimate tension. And there is spiritual warfare. But this is a willful defeat by trusting in one's own energies to do it. Paul describes the warfare in Galatians 5.17. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. You cannot do that what you would. That's legitimate warfare. You put on the armor, chapter 6. But this is not speaking about the warfare. This is willful defeat, trusting in yourself, rather than the power of the Spirit of God. Now, allow me to remind you that the theme of chapter 6, 7, and 8 is the life of sanctification. Therefore, let me point out some very important things before we move on to help us better understand this seventh chapter. Chapter 7 is key. The seventh chapter is only one of three chapters that go together. 6, 7, and 8. Even as 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are the gifts and they must be studied together. Matthew 24, 25, together. Okay? The sixth chapter is the foundation, buried with Christ and dead to the power of sin nature by faith, able to be slaves of Christ in sanctification. The seventh chapter is the feeble process. We attempt to accomplish in the sanctified life in the energies of the flesh instead of the energies of the Holy Spirit. The eighth chapter is the final product of life in the Spirit. Not sinless, not perfect, but conquering victorious despite the difficulty, despite the tragedies. I'm abiding in Christ, living it through the power of the Spirit. Can you see the importance on how you interpret chapter 7? It is key to the entire epistle. This is not the norm of life. It is a defeated life. So when you think of these three chapters, think of it this way. In chapter 6, the believers practice yielding to God, not our flesh. In chapter 7, the believers problem, living in the energies of the flesh. Chapter 8, the believer's power, yielding to the Holy Spirit to overcome the flesh. That's the progression. 
So, in view of all this, let me read verse 14 through 25. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, so I'll understand. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform, there's the key. What is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil, I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. In view of all this, we want to examine Paul's defeated life against the power of sin nature by depending on his own energies to obey the law. And it's characterized by three things. First, the nature of his flesh, 14 through 17, the nature of his flesh. Second, the problem of his flesh, 18 through 23. And then the solution for his flesh 24 through 25. The nature, the problem, the solution. The nature of his flesh. Look at 14 through 17. The Apostle Paul proclaimed the common knowledge known to all Christians. Listen to it. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, soul under sin. Paul has just finished proving that the believer is free from the law and that the law is not the source of sin. He did this in verse 1 through 13. The first six verses of chapter 7 here. The law has no claim on the Christian since he died with Christ. It's an illustration from the law of the Old Testament to marriage. In verse 1, the principle is the law has dominion over a person only as long as he lives. Once you die, even regular secular law, they don't come and claim taxes from you. They don't collect rent. You're dead. All right? Verse 2 and 3, the particular case of husband dying releases the woman so that she can marry another. If she marries someone without her husband dying, she's called an adulteress. Simple. And then in verse 4, he makes the application to the Christian. We have become dead to the law through the body of Christ and able to marry another. Who's the other? Christ, who was raised from the dead in order to bear fruit to God. Now, the only thing is here, the law didn't die. I died to the law. I'm the one that dies to the law. You understand? So the law has no claim on me. And if I die and I'm raised in the spirit, now I can marry another. Christ, right? Simple. Verse 5 and 6, the old sin nature was provoked by the law, producing sin unto eternal death. But having been delivered from the law and died to our sin nature by faith, we can serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter, the law. Simple. Now, from 7 to 13, the law is not the source of sin. Now, he vindicates law. But sin nature is provoked by obeying the holy and perfect law. 
It's like a plumb line. The plumb line does not make the wall crooked. The plumb line only reveals the wall to be crooked. You can't blame the wall, the, the plumb line. Paul says you can't blame the law. It's holy. He puts his finger on the culprit. Ready for it? Sin nature. Look at verse 7. The law pointed out his sin. No one could know. What is it? Covetousness. It's not a deed. It's, it's inside of the eternal. Verse 8. The law incites the nature in him. Wet paint. Don't touch. I touch it. Verse 9. The law killed him, being unable to keep it. Verse 10. The law through the commandment, which was to bring life, instead brought death. Why? Because he can't obey it constantly, continuously. Verse 11. The sinful nature of Paul by the commandment deceived him and killed him. The law is holy, commandment just and good. Not death. And the rest of 13, the law unmasked. Sin nature, that's what sin is there. Remember that in the noun, sin nature. And revealed its true color and character. So that it would be seen and appear as it really is. Completely evil and deadly in its sinfulness. It unmasked it. Now, he starts in verse 14. Paul first points out that the nature of the law, listen, is spiritual. The law is ethical and moral, not merely some mechanical external thing. The Pharisees thought, well, we don't do this. But the law deals with intents and motives, attitudes, not mere formalities. Jesus said, you have heard it has been said to you, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look upon a woman with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. So he shows that the law was spiritual, not just mechanical, right? Matthew 5, 27 to 28. The law is spiritual. Then he says that the nature of his person is carnal, soul under sin. The pronoun I continues to be used by Paul here, but it is no longer in the past tense. Now it's all present tense. Okay? Very important. The first 13 verses is past tense. Now he's talking in the present tense. The word carnal, sarkikos, means having the nature of flesh under the control and dominion of the animal appetite, which is the sin nature. Not by the Holy Spirit. Notice Paul is describing himself as carnal being what? A Christian. Paul understood the true intent of the law after conversion. Verse 9 of the chapter, he says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. But he did not understand that the law could not enable him to obey the law by his own flesh. So on the Damascus road, he's going to take Christians, he's going to kill them, going to arrest them. Jesus intersects, boom, makes them born again. He realizes. All of a sudden now, before his conversion... You have his boasting in Philippians. Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day. Pharisee of Pharisees. Beyond my contemporaries, pass them up. Blameless. Then he's born again. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God opens his eyes. The law condemns you. Without doubt, this is during the three-year period where Jesus disciples him in Arabia for three years. Where Paul the Apostle understood the true intent of the law. But he didn't understand that he had to depend on the Holy Spirit. All he had was the Old Testament. There was no New Testament, ladies and gentlemen. And now he thinks he can obey the law on his own energies. There's no way. This is what we see as autobiographical. Now notice the apostle 
is contrasting the holy nature of the law to his own unholy sin nature, still residing in him as a saint. The word sin, again it's a noun, sin nature. The word soul often refers to the sale of things or slaves, implying a complete control of something or someone. There are those who object and say that this is the proof text that Paul was speaking about his unbelieving days, not as a Christian. And they use chapter 6, well, we died to sin with Christ. Well, you can't negate that. Paul the Apostle is saying here that he was sold under sin, and he's talking about a position in a day when he was a Christian, because no one has that struggle. We're going to see this very, very clear. So, if you're from Reformed theology or a Calvinist, you reject chapter 7 of being a Christian. You believe that this is a non-believer, if you're a Calvinist. Look at 15. Paul provides the evidence. He says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. What he was not understanding, the word gnosko, is comprehend his Christian experience in this defeated state. You been there? <laughs> he says, for what I will to do, that I do not practice. Been there? He expresses his frustration. Then he says, but what I hate, that I do. Been there? He acknowledges defeat. All that he says is in the present tense. This was Paul's personal failure by attempting to do in the energies of his own flesh what can only be done in the power of the Spirit. No unbeliever would say or go through all this struggle of sin. You remember being a non-believer? I didn't say no thanks to sin. I said, is that all you have? Now look at 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul pronounced his two conclusions. Look at them carefully. Verse 16, Paul says the law is not the culprit, but he. Now he's going to refine it. He starts with himself. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So he admits that what he does, does not, uh, he does with difficulty and reluctance. I do what I will not to do. The I is still indicating Paul. The teaching that I represents the Jews is foreign to the text here in this context. It's Paul. Then he vindicates the law. I agree with the law that it is good. In verse 16, the word agrees means to speak together or to concur with as to the evil that he is doing. He agrees with the law. The law is good, callous, morally beautifully, revealing the will of God and demanding perfect obedience. Nothing wrong with the law. He agrees with it. But then look at verse 17. Paul says the culprit is not him now, but sin nature in him. He begins with him, and now he makes it different between him and sin nature. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul is not saying that he's not responsible for his sin or his sin nature, but that it is not him, the new man, doing the evil. But sin nature that is still dwelling within him. The old man that has to be crucified daily. Romans 6, 11. This is not an excuse for your sin, by the way. But rather an explanation for your sin. You can't just say, well, you know, that's the way God made me. No, no, no. 
He's explaining why he's doing it. He's not excusing himself, okay? That's the context. Look at 15. Paul is aware of the two natures as a Christian and describes them as such. For what I, the old man, am doing, I, the new man, do not understand. For what I, the new man, will to do, that I, the old man, do not practice. But what I, the new man, hate, that I, the old man, do. Both of these conclusions are affirming the beginning statement in verse 14. The law is spiritual, and Paul is carnal, soul under sin nature. When you look at it that way, you understand now. Sin nature is true and consistent in evil as much as gravity. It will kill you every time you give in to it. You go up to a 20-story building, you jump off. Every time, it'll kill you. But you're only going to get one shot. It's deadly. Sin nature is deadly, ladies and gentlemen. The Apostle Paul uses three words to describe mankind in the scriptures. The natural man who's lost and depraved, unable to understand the things of God, not desires to know the things of God. He's dead in trespasses and sins apart from God, as you know. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man, that's the natural man, the unbeliever, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That's the first category in the human race. Non-believer, natural man. Then you have the spiritual man who is saved and walking in obedience to God in the word by the Spirit of God. The next verse, 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, But, in contrast, he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. This is the person who is born again, trusting God, walking in the Spirit. Okay? So you have the natural, the spiritual. And then you have a third category called the carnal man. He's a Christian who is living, being ruled by a sin nature, not depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, Paul says to the Corinthians that they were carnal, even as babes in Christ. Why? Because there was divisions, envy, strife, and party divisions among them. And they were living as sinful men, yet being Christians. So either you are natural, you're not born again, or you are born again, or you're born again and you're living carnally as a defeated person to your sin nature by not trusting the power of the Spirit. Those are the three categories. Now, the Bible makes some very important contrast in the Scriptures for the Christian to understand. The new man in contrast to the old man. Spiritual man in contrast to the natural man. The inner man in contrast to the outward man. The spiritual man in contrast to the carnal man. The one who's obeying God, the one who's obeying sin nature. Wow. The old man is to be put off like an old garment, and the new man is to be put on. Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 tell you that very, very clear. That means you can do it. I can do it. It's not an option, it's not a choice, it's not a suggestion, but a command. The nature of Paul's flesh retains sin nature, and it was evil. Pastor Xavier Reese, 
pausing just halfway through an important message for learning to live victoriously for the Lord, despite our sinful nature. Critical, simple truths drawn from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. And there's much more to come next time. But if you'd like a copy of today's study on CD, ask for Willful Defeat and Failure to Sin Nature. It's available for only $4. This CD includes the complete message as it was originally delivered but didn't have time to include on the air. Once again, the title to ask for is Willful Defeat and Failure to Sin Nature or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 